face is the last thing you wanted to see <laughs> on a Sunday morning. So I just want to say, well done for being here. Um, and if you're feeling a bit low, spare a thought for Caitlin's dad, who gets so tense over rugby games, records it, waits till he knows the score to then watch it, you know, sort of at peace. And so last night he waits, recording the game, he uh, comes to the end, finds the score, happy to watch it, and then realizes the recording has failed. Oh. Caitlin's dad, everyone. Oh, we so feel his pain. And you know, um, but I do want to dial in this morning, and whatever, however you're feeling, let's dial in. Because I want to finish off something. Don't walk out. I, I want to finish off something that is super, super important. We're in the middle of a series. Go on. There we go. Should we dial in? <laughs> if uh, you have been tracking with us over the last couple of weeks, we're in the middle of a series called Deeper Meaningful, and it's, sort of, it's a series that starts with three messages right at the outset, and I've said all along, I want you to imagine that you're in the middle of Lord of the Rings, and you, or rather, you've only seen Return of the King, and how many references in there, how many words in there, how many names and places in there just wouldn't make sense to you, would just go straight over your head, maybe seen as insignificant, because you haven't seen the previous episodes. And the challenge for some of us is that we read our Bibles like that. We, we come to the New Testament, we come and read about Jesus, we come and read about all these things, we, we hear He's better and superior and awesome, and we go... Uh, the meaning, the significance, the depth is sort of lost on us because we've never seen the first episodes. You know, imagine trying to tune into a, a, your favorite TV series at season five. There's so much that wouldn't make sense to you. And, and, and I fear we read our Bibles a little bit like that. And so this series, we're, we're tracking towards Hebrews, this incredible book that champions Jesus and speaks of him as better. And the risk is that some of us read that and we, we, we go, better than what? I don't understand what he's better than. And so we wanted to take some weeks to go back to the old, back to uh, where some of these meanings and names and places come from. And it takes us to talk about the, the old covenant. And so we've taken three weeks to talk about covenant and the law. We've talked about the tabernacle. And today we're going to talk about the priesthood. And, and these sort of come as this little section in, in, in the second part of, of Exodus and covenant, we've said, is this partnership. The, the, the creator God, uh, the eternal God, comes and wants to, make, wants to enter into a partnership with uh, Israel, with one nation, that they would be this people before God and they'd be this demonstration to the world, this reflection to the world of what he was like. And part of that was that this incredible promise that God would dwell among the people right in the very center but of course, it's no good if God just appears and, 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 and is revealed right in the middle of the community if the people have no way of accessing that. And so if God dwells among the tab in the tabernacle that we looked at last week, then how would the people approach? You know, remember some of the things we've been saying over this series. You know, God appears like a consuming fire on top of Mount Sinai. And now he says, I'm going to come and live right in the middle of your camp. You know, the people, when they saw this, they said, Moses, you go and speak to God, okay? And then you can come and give us a message because we don't want to go anywhere near. If God speaks to us, we'll die. Like, that was their sense. And so when God says, I'm going to come and dwell right in the middle of you, and, and, and I need somebody to come and, and, and approach. I need somebody to actually come and meet with me. You know, you're like, any volunteers? Everyone's like, actually, no. I don't want to go anywhere near. I'm actually fearful of this holy God. And so how would this promise to, for God to not only dwell among them, but for God to meet with them be fulfilled? And the answer is the priesthood. This idea of a go-between. This idea of somebody who would represent God before the people and the people before God. And both are found in the priesthood. And so if you will turn, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to go to Exodus 28. Uh, I'm going to read the words. We're going to put the words up on the screen as well if you don't have a Bible. 
And every week, I'm sort of trusting that this might help you to go and read some of this stuff for yourself. We're looking at big sections of Scripture, but I'm looking at an introduction. Every week, I've read a sort of introduction to the, to the theme. And at the start of Exodus 28, we get this great introduction to the priesthood. As it then talks about the garments that the priest would wear and the sacrifices that were necessary for the priest to actually enter into the tabernacle. And so I just want to read the first five verses of Exodus 28 as an introduction to the priesthood. Here we go. Have Aaron your brother, this is Moses, uh, God talking to Moses. Have Aaron your brother brought to you from among the Israelites along with his sons Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, so they may serve me as priests. Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron, on to, uh, for your brother Aaron, to give him dignity and honor. Tell all the skilled workers to whom I have given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration, so he may serve me as priest. These are the garments they are to make: a breastpiece, uh, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban, a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons, so they may serve me as priests. Have them use gold and purple, uh, blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen. I want you to notice three things. Three times in that passage it says, so they may serve me as priests. There are three things that enable that to happen. Three things I want you to go away and remember. The priests were chosen, the priests were clothed, and the priests were consecrated all these things three things so they may serve as priests and so let's just unpack let's just talk about those briefly now okay the first thing is they were chosen this idea I said to you you know any volunteers no nobody really wants to volunteer for this role but God says I'm going to choose and so just as he'd chosen Israel out of all of the nations of the world to have a special purpose to be this testimony to the rest of the nations so within that he chose one tribe the Levites who would be like the set up and pack down crew for the tabernacle okay each of them had roles for 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 setting up and packing down and carrying the tabernacle. But within that tribe, there was one family, Aaron's sons. And it talks about Eleazar and Ithamar and, and those guys. They were Aaron's sons. They were to be priests. And, and so they were the guys who were able to actually go into the tab- tabernacle, go into the temple and, and minister. They lit the lamps and, the, and they, they put the bread in place and they burned incense and they presented offerings. But, but can you see it's, getting, it's like a funnel getting narrower and narrower and it comes to one person, Aaron himself, who's going to be not just a priest but a high priest. The one who would appear in the very presence of God in the most holy place. Stuff we talked about last week. In the most holy place where God said, I will meet with you there. One guy, Aaron. And, and he was to be chosen. And I think one of the things this idea of being chosen says is that it speaks of the holiness of God. You know, they had come out of Egypt where there was pluralism. You know, you could have any sort of God you wanted. Not only pluralism, but sort of pantheism where everything's a God. They worship the sun, you know, they worship the river. They worship the firstborn. And not only that, but they were the syncretist. You know, Egypt was syncretist. It was like you could add, th- it was like pot, you know, potluck. It was sort of like pick and mix. You know, you can have a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of that and sort of just build this, this faith that you wanted made up of all these different gods. And God reveals himself to Israel as one true God. So he says, you're not going to worship me in just how you like. You're not just going to appear before me any way you like. The, 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 the separation and the symbols and, and the priesthood here all speak of somebody actually approaching God as God says they must approach. He's like, I'm a holy God. And I'm going to let you know how this is going to happen. And so the priests were chosen. And the high priest was just one person. And it would pass to his son, into his son, into his son. Aaron, the high priest. And so they were chosen the priests were also clothed, and these clothes were extraordinary. These clothes were unique. They were like no other. These weren't just ordinary clothes. These weren't even like the smart clothes that you wear to a wedding or something like that. These were like amazing, extraordinary clothes. And what they speak to is Aaron's role as a representative of the people before God and of God before the people. And notice in verse 2 it says this, Give him as sacred garments for your brother Aaron, Uh, to give him dignity and honor, dignity and honor. The NASB, an American translation says, says glory and beauty. 
glory and beauty. This is what these garments were to be like. So this word honor or, or beauty speaks of God before the people. This word, word beauty or, or honor is a word that was used in the Hebrew to describe ornaments or jewelry, things that were beautiful, things that were precious, things that when people put them on, it was like people stood in awe and went, wow. You know, the sort of thing in your home that you might put pride of place so that everybody can see. Another way of translating that word is splendor. And it's a word that when people see God revealed, when people begin to understand what God is like, who He is like, people say, people begin to praise God for His beauty, begin to praise God for His splendor. Psalm 71 puts it like this, My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor, God, all day long. Psalm 96 says, Splendor and majesty are before Him, strength and glory are in His sanctuary. This word splendor speaks of what it looks like when God is revealed. And so it was the same that the high priest, their garments were to be splendid. They were to be beautiful. When people saw them, they were to say, wow, these are, these are garments of splendor. These are garments of beauty. Why? Because the priest was to be this reflection of God among the people. He was a representative of God among the people. And it's a reminder as well that Israel at that point had no king. They lived in a theocracy. God was their ruler. And so the priests, um, the priest would enter into the most holy place, uh, into the temple with the Urim and the Thummim. They were like the yes and no. And he would ask questions of God. And uh, God, should we do this? And, and he would pull out of, uh, of his garment one of the stones. And it would be like a yes answer or a no answer. Sort of a primitive magic eight ball sort of thing. But it was, a way of the, 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 it was a way of the priest representing the rule of God. Saying, God makes our decisions. We're following him. So the priest in the, his garments, these garments of splendor, is a picture that, that the priest is a representation of God before the people. That is really important for where we're going to go. But it's also, these also are garments of dignity. In the Hebrew, this is the word for God, for glory. Glory is a word of substance. Glory is a word of weight. Glory is a word of honor. And these are, this is the sense that the that the, the garments represented. Let me show you a theme of what that word glory looks like in the Bible. In Psalm 8 verse 4 it says this, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor. It's saying that people, humanity, were given a crown of glory by God. We were to be people of substance. We were to be people of character, of, of, of honor. And of course, when, when, when sin enters the world, when people say we're going to ignore God and we're going to do what seems right in our own eyes, it's like we exchange that glory for, for a lack of glory. We, ex we exchange the dignity for something that is undignified and degrading. It says this in Jeremiah 2, doesn't it? Did that work? <laughs> But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. There's this theme in Scripture that we become like what we worship. When you worship the glorious creator, God, there's, there's a sense in which we begin more and more to reflect him. And when we begin to bow down to other things, you know, they had wooden idols. We have many things in our lives that we worship, that we bow down to, that we, that we give ourselves to. They are worthless in comparison to God. When we worship those things, there's a sense in which we become worthless ourselves. You know, often when we think of sin, this rebellion against God, doing what seems right in our own eyes, we often think of it as sort of missing the mark. God has a standard and we miss that standard. But I think what's revealed in here is that actually there's this other sense of sin that is degrading, that it's undignified, that it was never befitting for a human to, to, to behave in that way. It's like saying lying just doesn't suit you. It's like your anger just doesn't look good on you. It, it, it's like pride is like a, an ill-fitting cheap suit. <laughs> it's just not a look that you should ever have had. 
Why? Because you were crowned with glory and honor and sin degrades. Sin is undignified. And so, and so with the priest, these garments were not only get to give him splendor as God before the people, but they were to give him dignity. They were to cover over the indignity, the undignified nature of the humanity had become. And they were to give him dignity so that he could appear before God. And in these garments then we find this story that God is telling. That just as humanity exchanged that dignity before God and became worthless. So God in this priest is beginning to tell a story that he is going to restore that crown of glory upon humanity. That he's actually going to make them dignified again. He's going to take away their shame. He's going to take away their degradation. And he's, going to, and he's going to restore the crown of glory upon people. That's the story God is beginning to tell in the priesthood. I just want to go, I, I don't have time and, to go through all of the garments that the priest wore. But I just want to pick out a couple of things. Okay? On these garments, the priest had, had a stone on either shoulder. And, and on one shoulder, there were six names engraved. And on the other shoulder, there were six more names engraved. And you can see just on the breast piece, right in the front there, you've got 12 stones, precious stones of different colors. And on each one, there is a name engraved. 12 names on his chest, 12 names on his shoulders. They are the same 12 names. They are the tribes of Israel. And, and, and it says that, that Aaron was to bear those names on his shoulders as a memorial, as a reminder before the Lord. What it says is that, it, that, that when Aaron went in as the, most, as the high priest into the presence of God, he didn't go representing himself, he represented those 12 tribes. And if you read throughout Scripture, you'll hear people, uh, Jew, Jews identify themselves by the tribe that they were from. You know, Paul says, I, I'm, a, I'm a, what tribe was he from? Benjamin? Benjamin. There you go. Whew. Wow, that's risky going off script there. You know, Paul says, I, I, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. He knew. Everyone knew what tribe they belonged to. And so when Aaron goes into the presence of God, bearing the names on his shoulders, something of responsibility, and when he bears them over his heart, over his own interests, over his own desires, he bears the name of the people before God. It's like saying, what I do is representative of every tribe and therefore every single person. Every sacrifice that Aaron presented was as if every single Israelite presented that one by one. Every time he presents an offering before God, it's as if every single person from the, from, from the whole nation came in one by one by one. He represented them all. He wasn't for his own interests. He was there for the interests of the whole people. And he, and he bears the names. He's like, God, remember every single person. Lord, as I present these sacrifices, would you forgive every person? Lord God, would you remember your covenant of love to every person? I come bringing not just my name, but every name before you, God. And the final thing is that not only was the, the priest chosen, not only was the priest clothed, but the priest was consecrated. The garments were, were not like any other garments. That, that They presented sacrifices and offerings. He had an oil that was, that was upon him, not like any other oil. And it was all this picture as this person is being set apart. This person looks different. This person smells different. They are set apart for a specific purpose to serve God, not in the common every day, but in the holy and in the sacred. And so they are clothed and they are chosen and they are consecrated. And the culmination comes in, in Exodus 29, 46, right at the end of, uh, of all of this stuff. It says this, so I will consecrate, set apart the tent of meeting. That's what we talked about last week and the altar again last week. And I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And we've said how, how incredible it is that all of this meant that God would set them apart from every other nation by dwelling right in the middle of them. And yet you can begin to ask the question, well, well what good is it for God to, to, to be there if I can't meet him? If only the high priest can go and that only once a year, like what sort of sense of, of, of relationship is there here? You know, it reminds me a little bit of, um, go with me, the Koru Lounge. <laughs> 
I want you to imagine that you go to the airport and you meet somebody at security and you're like, you know, you sort of become best friends, you know, straight away, just chatting away. And, and as you head towards the gate, they go where you can't go, into the lounge. And you know, you know the people who stand there outside the lounge just longingly, like just looking past reception, I wonder what's in there, you know? You know, and maybe later at the gate, your newfound friend meets you and you're like, and, uh, and they're like, you know, how's the lounge? And you're like, well, I don't know. You went in. I didn't get to go in. But then imagine, actually, that one of those magical occasions, like I've had sometimes where you get to travel with your boss, and they're a Koru member, you know? And uh, you just, you walk up to the Koru lounge like you go there every day, smug, you know? And, and, and your boss walks up to the, to, to the reception and, and shows his past, shows his credentials, and then gives a nod to the receptionist. He's with me. And you walk in there and nobody ever asks you again whether you belong here. You make the most of every morsel of that buffet. You clear every single email on that free Wi-Fi. You get a freshly made barista coffee. And if it's maybe a little later in the day, maybe a little dash of Pinot, you know? Nobody ever asks you whether you belong there again. You enjoy the full benefits of membership on the credentials of another. And I want you to see that this idea of separation from the very presence of God is completely undone in Jesus, who comes as the high priest, not only of the one that this priesthood looks towards, but the priesthood you and I need. He appears not as a representation of God, but as fully God. He doesn't appear as a representative um, for us. He came fully man, and he enters the presence of God Based on his own holiness, he needed no sacrifice to get him there. But he presents the sacrifice of himself and in doing so opens up a way for you and I to meet with God ourselves. It's like on the way into heaven presenting his sacrifice. Not in the earthly tabernacle, by the way, in the heavenly one. He gives a nod to the Father and says, this one's with me. Because they've believed in the name of Jesus. And in that place before God, you and I, if we believe in Jesus, receive the full benefits of membership, full benefits of being in relationship with God based fully and entirely and forever on the credentials of Jesus himself. That's why if you're new to church, we gather around Jesus and we worship him and him alone because everything we have before God, not only now but forever, is based entirely on him, that he was good enough for God and that he was willing to die in our place to make us good enough for God. And the classic, the amazing thing is that not only does does he do that, but he remains before the Father interceding for us. Bearing every name. God, remember Sarah. God, thank you that you've forgiven Jamie. God, thank you that you're never going to walk away from Caroline. Like, Lord, thank you. That's what Jesus is doing today. He's bearing our names, not written on stones on his chest, but graven on his hands. He just appears before the God, before God the Father, day and night, saying, Remember every single one of these people. You know, some of you need to walk out of here today remembering that right now Jesus is praying before the Father for you. I think that changes how we live life when we understand that Jesus appears before the Father praying for us. But it doesn't stop there. You know, just as last week we said that the tabernacle was this tent and Jesus represented the tabernacle and there's a sense in which we as people and as a gathering represent the tabernacle. So just as there was a priesthood, And just as Jesus fulfills that, so you and I, if we believe in Jesus, there's a sense in which we become priests ourselves, people who represent people before God, people who represent God before the people. It says in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, I wasn't quite quick enough, I was too quick maybe, have we got that? Did I put it there? There we go, but you're a chosen people. Your royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. There is a sense in which if you've believed in Jesus, you and I represent a priesthood today. There's a role that God has for us to perform. And so think about it. Chosen, clothed, consecrated. Number one, you are chosen. 
It says in Ephesians 1 verse 4, For he chose us in him when? Before the foundation of the world, God knew you and chose you to believe in Jesus. You know, I, I was reflecting last year on, on, on my dad and, and just I had some issues, I'll be honest. And I, and I remember times with my dad when, when he would come home from work and he'd say, Simon, we're going to mow, we're going to mow a strip in the garden and we're going to go and play cricket, right? Well, Simon, I thought we'd go and play football at the park tonight. Those were awesome moments for me. Do you know the realization that came to me, though, last, time, last, last year? Was not only that my dad wanted to do that with me, but that there was at some point in his work day where he thought of me. And he thought... I'm so looking forward to going home because Simon and I are going to play cricket tonight. I'm so looking forward to going home because tonight Simon and I are going to go and play football. And when I realized that my dad in the middle of his working day thought of me, man, I felt so much bigger. I felt so much more, uh, more important. I felt so much more worth because my dad thought of me. How much more the eternal God of creation before he set all of those things in place, thought of you and chose you. Do you know how much worth and dignity and value that ascribes to you? Some of you need to just walk out of here a little bit taller today. None that God thought of you in that way at that time. Second thing I want you to see is that God clothes us. You know, when I talked earlier about not only sin being a missing of the mark, but, but maybe a sense in which it's degrading and shameful and makes you want to hide. I wonder if some of us as, as, as Jesus followers know we're forgiven, and yet we still feel shame. We still want to hide away. We still maybe want to avoid God. How important it is maybe for you to know today. Maybe you're coming before God for the first time. Maybe you're in church for the first time in a long time. And as you come face to face with the character of God, with his splendor, you're like, whoa, I just, I feel shame. I want to hide away. You need to hear today that the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus wasn't just for the forgiveness, wasn't just for wiping away sin, but, but was so that he might cover you. You know, if you sense today that God is, that you feel a bit exposed, a bit shameful, a bit like you want to hide, know that God doesn't come today to reveal your sin, to condemn you. He reveals it so that you might turn to him so that he might cover it for you. Notice Isaiah 61 verse 10 says this, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me with a robe of righteousness. God has covered over that shame. And when Jesus, we find him restoring that crown of honor, that crown of glory, that honor and dignity and worth and value that we were always supposed to have begins to be restored in the life that God enables us to begin to live as followers of Jesus. And I want to remind you, we're not only chosen and, 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 and clothed, but we are consecrated. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you as a follower of Jesus, as someone who believes in Jesus, it sets you apart for a unique purpose. You know, I loved it. One of my favorite moments this week was when, when somebody was here last week and we talked about how when the presence, you know, when, when God pours the Holy Spirit into your life, when you become this living, breathing, moving um, tabernacle holding of the power and presence of God, that changes meetings you go into. And I loved it this week when, when somebody said to me, I, I was going into a meeting, I didn't really want to go into it, but I just thought, wow, I'm going to apply last week's message to this moment. I'm carrying the power and presence of God into this meeting. This changes my expectation. It changes my approach. It changes my attitude. We're consecrated, set apart for a specific purpose. But, but, but hear this. I wonder if there's a sense in which, just as the priest bore the names of the people, and just as Jesus bears our names before the Father, I wonder if there's a sense in which God would have us do that too. 
Not just to enjoy the privilege of meeting with God and, and being heard by God for our own sake, but what about the people around us? You know, I think this profoundly shapes how we see culture. We're going to get to the start of next year when we get to Nehemiah. I'm excited about that. We're going to cover it more there. But there's just a sense for me in which this is really important. Because so often the church stands and looks at culture and says, we're right and you are wrong. You know, we've been forgiven and you haven't been. And, 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 you know, it's just bad and, and you're far from God. And you need to repent and you need to change, otherwise God's going to judge you. Like So often that has been the picture of God. What if we stood alongside our culture and said, we're going to bear the names of the people around us before God. We're going to use the privilege we have of coming before God to bear the names of our neighbors and to bear the names of our family and to bear the names of people whose behavior right now we might not like. But rather than point the finger, why don't we open our hands and stand before God and cry out for our culture. Say, God, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of your glory. All of us have done things that are degrading and undignified and not worthy of the, of the crown of glory that you placed upon humanity. But we're not going to point the finger. We're going to bear the names of the people around us and say, oh Lord God, remember mercy. Oh Lord God, remember that you died for not only me, but for the people around me. I bring their names before you today. Would you reveal yourself to them that they might too return to you, that they might see you, that they might receive this covering, that they might be invited into this relationship that you've invited me into. Lord God, enable them too. What a, what a church that would be. No more pointing fingers, but more turning to prayer. Say, oh Lord God, remember the people of our city and remember mercy. What if we were a church like that? And so I just want us to, we're going to share communion, we're going to worship. But I just wonder if there's a sense this morning as we worship, where we might begin to pray. We might begin to thank God for for all that he's done for us, but that it wouldn't stop with us, but that it would extend right throughout this nation. And so, guys, come up, lead us in worship. Would you stand? Would you stand with me? That is a rapid pricey of the priesthood. Father, we thank you today so much that Jesus, you're the priest that God needed you're the priest that we needed. And we worship you for this incredible relationship opportunity we have to know you because of Jesus. And so in these moments as we share communion right now, we take bread and we take juice, reminding us of what it cost you to restore to us a crown of honor and glory and dignity and beauty and to cover over every shame so, God, as we share bread and juice, reminding us of your body and your blood and how you hung on a cross for us. God, I, we thank you for how expensive that was for you. How free a gift it is for us. But, Lord God, I pray today that we would know we're not only forgiven, but covered. And I just sense for some of us this morning that is so important. God has covered over your shame. Just as the priest, just as for the priest, there was no need to hide. Just for as a bride on her wedding day, the very center of attention in that amazing dress, there's no sense of hiding. I just sense for some of you ladies, this is even more important right now. That picture of the wedding dress has resonated for you. It's like a picture of your relationship with Jesus you've never seen. That though you feel shame and want to hide away, what He has done for you is so profound and powerful and such a great expression of love. It's like He has adorned you in the most exquisite wedding dress. And He parades you before people saying, no need to hide anymore. Your shame is taken away. 
Father, thank you, Lord God, that this is the glory, the wonder of what you have done for us in Jesus. We worship you today. And we pray, Lord God, that you would give us the capacity to receive this. Thank you that you forgive us. But Lord God, help us to forgive ourselves. Thank you that you see no shame, but pray that we would feel no shame. But we'd know it's dealt with. And so in that vein, Lord God, we share communion together in awe of you. And so grateful to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey. If you want to worship Jesus in this way, come share bread, come share juice, and let us worship together.
Yeah, church, I really, I really feel like what Jamie said before and, um, and following on from what Simon said of really bringing the people in our world to God. Um, I think God is pushing us today to bring those people to Him. Um, and, and I wonder if, <clears throat> if a few people in here have prayers today for our culture, for our land, God. Um, yeah, if, if, you have, if you have something on your heart, if you have something to cry out um, today to God, I just, I just want to open up some space for us to do that right now. Um, I had an amazing picture this morning in worship of this building sitting in Miramar, and it was, <clears throat> there was incense coming out of it, going up to God, and the smell delighted him. The smell of that incense delighted him. Our worship went up to God, and it delighted him. And so I want us to send up some prayers now for the people in the peninsula in Wellington, in our world where we want revival. If anyone has a prayer, I just want to open up some space for that. God, we just pray and we commit these people of the eastern suburbs, these people of Wellington that our church has such a heart to reach, God. We commit them to you. We walk with them today back to you. We are all the prodigal son here and we, we, call, we call on you to, to bring them in a, into our walk, to turn to you and to see you, God. We pray that your spirit moves in this land, God. We pray for a miraculous move of your spirit in this church, in the suburbs, in Wellington, in New Zealand, God. We pray that your spirit comes down on these lands and affects people like nothing else can, God. We just pray that you reveal yourself in an all-powerful way that people cannot deny and that we see a miraculous returning of the city and these people to you, God. We thank you for the victory that you give us, God. We praise you for the victory that you give us.
Thank you, God. We just we call on your blessing once again. Um, we call on your blessing of this place, this nation, this suburb, God. Um, and we just implore you to move again. God, we praise your, your all-powerful name, your almighty name this morning. Um, we give you glory now and forever. Amen. Cool. Thank you, guys. Hey, thank you so much for coming in this morning. Um, it's been amazing to worship with you, to send the praise up to heaven, to send the prayers up to heaven. Keep doing it throughout the week.